Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Our title today is The Most Important Work on the Face of the Earth. Now, leading is incredibly challenging and difficult. It's complex. It's hard work. And actually, every one of us is a, a leader. In other words, a leader is anyone who has influence, which is every single person. Even if you're not leading, and many of you are, you're leading a church or a ministry or organization, a, a church, a nonprofit somewhere in the marketplace, but we're all leading. Family and friends, we're influencing by our very being. And so God entrusts people to our care, to feed, to influence, to we're to give food to them because God's entrusted them to us for a season. So I want to take my comments uh, today from a passage, a really important passage in John chapter uh, 21, uh, which is when Jesus uh, reinstates Peter. So let me read the passage, and then I'll just go off on my comments on why I believe this gives us an insight into what really is the most important work on the face of the earth. It reads as follows. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then he goes on to say, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. So my comments today, I'm going to revolve around three words, direction, discipline, and then discipleship. All right, so let, let's just begin and those those will give us some anchors as we move through this podcast. So the first thing Peter says, to, uh, Jesus says to Peter is, you know, uh, when he says feed my sheep is basically di- give direction. In other words, do you love me? The love for Jesus is going to be, is inseparable from this uh, call for all of us to feed the sheep or to influence, to uh, offer Jesus to those around us whom he's given to uh, our care or at least entrusted to us a degree of influence. Now, sheep, uh, Jesus refers to his people as sheep. Now, sheep uh, are dumb. I mean, to put it very simply, uh, they're, they're resistant, they're stubborn. And in fact, being dumb is uh, perhaps their number one quality. They, they really do need direction and it's a lot of work uh, to direct sheep. Now think of countries have uh, symbols uh, of animals that represent them. So in the United States, for example, we're a bald eagle in Russia. Their symbol for their country is a bear. United Kingdom has a lion. But no country has sheep for their national symbol. But the, the heart of Jesus' symbol for us is we're sheep. You know, Psalm 23, you know, we're weak, uh, we're vulnerable, we're very limited, uh, we're thick-headed uh, and stubborn, and we go in groups, in packs. Uh, and when God says, my people are sheep, 
uh, like sheep. This is not a flattering. I mean, think about it. There are uh, there are no sheep trainers in the circus. Uh, they they can't say roll over uh, because they just can't be trained. Sheep by themselves can't find grace, safe pastures. A sheep by themselves uh, on their own without direction uh, can't find good waters. Uh, sheep by themselves can't fly, find places to rest unless someone guides them there. A shepherd, uh, in fact, they're the animal uh, least able to take care of themselves and survive alone. They, they don't know how to move to new ground. When it's time to move to new ground, they'll just graze and eat from the same place over and over until it they, 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 they destroy it uh, and it no longer feeds them. And they're defenseless against enemies. They, they don't have claws. They can't run fast. They can't bite. Uh, and they're so easily frightened uh, by noises and rabbits or a barking door, uh, dog. And so you you may have seen pictures or movies, I mean, and I've been around them. They, they just run and pack, they'll run away from a noise. Uh, and so you can't train a, a, you know, a sheep to lie down like a dog. Uh, you can't make them lie down. Uh, and sheep get lost. Uh, they go off cliffs. They end up drinking from polluted waters. They they get eaten by wild animals. They go into dead ends. They, and there's just no way a sheep can know. They just, they just can't see the larger picture. And so God made uh, sheep in need of community and in need of a ch- the church, in need of leadership. Uh, whether it's single, married, families, at any, at any and every stage of life, sheep need direction. And so Jesus said, we are to, like him, as servants, uh, gently give direction to people whom he's entrusted to us because uh, uh, they're like sheep, but not just direction. I'll, and again, I'll expound on what that looks like in our context in a moment, but not just direction, but there's a, an element of discipline in guiding sheep, which is my second word here. Remember Psalm 23, uh, my rod and my staff, uh, you know, they comfort me. God has a rod. Shepherds have rods that are, are weapons to protect sheep from exterior harm, uh, from wild animals, from, from thieves. And so a rod and a staff, staffs are more gentle. A rod is a more, you know, more of a, almost like a weapon. But a, a staff is gently to kind of keep the sheep on track, uh, lest they fall into a hole and, and wander. God loves us so much, he's going to lead us through dark valleys, uh, valleys of the shadow of death. And, and he does that for us because he loves us. He wants to bring us to new pastures. And there are seasons sheep go through dark, difficult, challenging, dark nights of the soul. And they need uh, the uh, discipline of shepherds around them saying, it's going to be okay. You know, let's keep going here. And and uh, the reason, again, this is so challenging because sheep are feel so defenseless and they don't have defenses. And, Cats have claws and dogs have teeth and speed and deer can run and bears are ferocious. Horses can kick, but sheep can't do any of that. Can't run, can't bite, don't have claws. They're incredibly vulnerable. And so they need the uh, the discipline of that, of being shepherded and, and directed and uh, to move in directions that they may not want to go. We're, we're incredibly vulnerable Uh as sheep, God's people are. Uh, and yet we're the salt of the earth, we're the light of the world, Jesus says. And uh, we're the most significant, sheep are the most, his sheep who, for whom he shed his blood are the most significant, important people on the face of the earth. He says, you're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Not we should be or, or sheep, the sheep could be or ought to be, but are. And salt and by its very nature 
preserves and purifies and flavors, preventing corruption in the world. Light shines. And, and what makes God's people different, our, our power lies in the fact that we're different. We're distinct from the world around us. <clears throat> but uh, even though we're God's people, God's people are fragile and need direction and discipline, need discipleship, need feeding. Um, uh, why? Because sheep, we're salt, we're light to show people the way to exist for the world to be a blessing. Now, listen, we're living in very challenging times. Rising nationalism uh, in many countries around the world. The COVID-19 pandemic has uh, exposed large um, global gaps between rich and poor, global inequities, both between countries and inside of countries. Uh, and then we see bitterly divided elections, not just here in the United States where I am, but in places like Belarus and others. And and these bitterly divided elections and politics um, have divided the church and have impacted inside the church quite a bit. And What's just so interesting, and, and so how do we give direction and discipline in days like t- today? How, how do we navigate this? Now, what's interesting, in the times of Jesus, you had the Sadducees and Pharisees and Herodians, the, you know, the, the Jewish kind of political, the Jewish kind of denominations or parties that they, they chose to kind of go along with the ruling political forces of the day. You had the zealots, uh, who were believers who were violently opposed to the rule of Rome, and they took up violence. They, they were the real nationalists uh, and chose the way of violence. And then you had the Essenes uh, who chose to just uh, separate themselves from everything political and, and establish their own community uh, in the Dead Sea area uh, to be pure and holy uh, and not get contaminated by what was going on. And it's interesting, you can see all three different kind of uh, responses to the political upheavals in our day as well. But Jesus didn't establish a new government uh, for which many Israelites had hoped. Uh, He didn't get co-opted or appropriated by the politics of his day, but he actually created a new family, a a community of followers who transformed society from the bottom up, the the new family of Jesus, uh, the disciples who were, in a sense, a prophetic new community of God's people uh, who bore prophetic witness to the kingdom of God and uh, and and Jesus, and for the poor, for the marginalized, for the forgotten, against greed and idolatry, and representing a hope and a certainty about the future that Jesus is God. He's the Savior of the world. He is Lord, and he transcends every government and country and worldly system. And, and so in these difficult times, how, how do we build, you know, we, we, we need to bring our uh, influence to bear uh, in feeding sheep, and how do we build people in, in this new community? Folks who are who are able to deal with differences, uh, who are highly differentiated. Uh, it's not oh, if you don't agree with me, you're not welcome here. Uh, and uh, but rather people who are so well differentiated and have a sense of uh, maturity that we get equipped in our community as a church and go out into the world uh, distinct and different as salt and light. In other words, whether it's the marketplace or the arts or politics or you know, working in the, for the government or social work or education or the trades, they're not caught up in the, I'm inside and you're, I'm right. I'm inside, you're outside, I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, but c- inviting people to 
we actually train people and teach people and help people to learn to, to love in this new family of Jesus. And in other words, to be approachable, to be soft, to be humble, to be servants, to be broken, to bless and not succumb to slander, uh, not to murder with our words, not to show contempt for any human being made in God's image. But we, we learning, to, how do I give an answer in these difficult times without alienating other people or without contributing to the deep polarization that exists? Now, the wider culture right now, especially in our country here in the United States, is deeply polarized. Um, and it's actually in the church as well, and it's really sad uh, that it's so this division uh, of the wider culture has now gotten into the culture of the church. And yet we are called as the, the new people of Jesus, new people of God, that the church to, to, a, to a poverty of spirit, brokenness, blessed are the poor in spirit, to, to meekness, to humility, to uh, mourning, to hungering and thirsting for God, to, to, being, to, to being servants uh, and treating every human being as invaluable and precious and a miracle in the sight of God who's made them in his image. And, and so our, our task is to mature ourselves and to mature others to, to, to be highly differentiated, that is, able to live with differences without having to find my, my, my identity in getting you to agree with me. In other words, folks who have a really solid sense of self in Christ um, so we don't divide the world into us and them. Jesus didn't. Um, we, we, we don't, you know, whether it's communism that divides people, and we have the, the Marxists would say we have the oppressors and the oppressed. Uh, or we can say we have the racists and the non-racists. We have those who care for the poor and those who oppress the poor. We have the Republicans, we have the Democrat, you know, and we offer people direction and a level of discipline and discipleship and we, we disciple people so they have deep biblical convictions and are never politicized to the right or to the left. Uh, in other words, you may love your country, and I hope you do love your country, you know, and it's, patriotism is a good thing. But a Christian nationalism, which is identifying Jesus with a, a, a political party or a government, uh, this has been going on for 2,000 years, and it's almost always led to violence and oppression and disaster. It's nothing new. It's been around for 2,000 years. But uh, we... We, our allegiance, our loyalty is, is transcends all nations and all political parties. It, it is to Jesus. But any time the church has gotten itself identified with uh, a secular government, it's always been a problem. So I'll give you some examples. Let's say Constantine, when he became emperor of Rome in 313, got some, became a Christian. And then secular powers, uh, as the, as the Christ, Holy Roman Empire, uh, secular powers began enforcing church power. It was incredibly confusing. Uh, they ended up persecuting people they didn't agree with uh, biblically. Uh, then you had throughout the Roman Empire, you had like Clovis, uh, one of the kings of Franks and Charlemagne, who, yes, they, they, they were converted and they insisted their soldiers convert or, or, or the sword. Uh, then you have the Crusades fired up by preachers to reclaim the Holy Land uh, the government again got behind this, believing that you have to we have to worship and walk where Jesus walked, and, and they ended up killing people. And you had the Crusades, which is one of the worst moments of church history. Then, of course, the Spanish and Portuguese empires, 15th and 16th centuries, that were sent by the king and queen to Christianize people uh, uh, in places like Latin America and 
etc. And then they had John Calvin, even him setting up a government to inf- in, in Geneva to enforce orthodoxy uh, and end up drowning an Anabaptist because you've got secular and church power mixed. And then, of course, you've got the largest example of Hitler's Germany, where he co-opted and seduced the church to get behind him uh, as he was rising to power. And the Roman Catholic Church in particular got behind him. Uh, and, and as Germany at that time did not have a great sense of identity at all, the sense of being lost after losing World War I, and he was able to capitalize that and uh, ended up really becoming the authority in the church. Loyalty to Hitler and the church were, were syn- became synonymous, and a good 70% of the Protestant church as well ended up, ended up going with him, and uh, it was a mess, as we all have seen. But him getting some manipulation and seducing the church was a key element for him. It was interesting because I, I was in Nicaragua when I was learning Spanish in Latin America in the mid-1980s, and uh, it was when the Sandinistas, uh, who were communists, uh, had taken over power uh, uh, in, Man- in Managua, Nicaragua, and Jared and I went to church uh, there in the First Baptist Church of Managua. I'll never forget it. We went to Sunday school class, and the, and the Sunday school class was on uh, the Israelites uh, being freed from Egypt. And the, the teacher made the point, now Egypt is the United States. We are God's people, uh, you know, the, the left, the Sandinistas, and we have been freed uh, by God's hand. And now we have our government and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it was really quite interesting, you know. And, but whenever you have the state and religion working together, you have a mess. You have disaster. You have it's heretical in Christianity because, again, Jesus transcends every race, culture, class, and political party and government. So even now, on, just on, on a personal level, uh, you know, I have family members, a, um, a couple of family members who are, uh, I'll just call them conspiracy uh, theorists, and they have quite strong opinions uh, about uh, United States government and what's happening. And uh, uh, and so I've had to really work through, how do I, you know, how do I love them now? Uh, because they're really not that interested in having a discussion. They have, uh, they're, they have one goal that has convinced me. And so I've, I've had to say to them, I love you and we have differences of opinion and we're going to agree not to allow our different opinions to, to split us. And can we agree not to talk about it? And so far it's going well. Uh, but right now, the present environment uh, here in the United States, uh, and I can only speak to that, uh, is so divisive, so polarized, uh, and and a good portion of the church has been uh, really pulled to, in particular, the right. But then you've got a part of the church that's also pulled to the left, and uh, you know even those labels right and left, but. It's a it's a very challenging environment to create um, you know healthy relationships and and set boundaries to preserve you know relationships and so I one of the most important things I, I believe the greatest gift we can give the world right now and one of the most important things to do is to in the church is to create a new culture uh, a healthy culture a church culture that actually uh, equips people to uh, navigate these perilous times and not find a sense of self uh, in anything but Jesus. And 
And so I, I want to invite you to, before I go any further here, invite you to even to, to, to download a vision of a, a health, what, is a, what does a healthy church even look like? We've got, I've, I, wrote a little e, I wrote a little e-book called, uh, you know, on church culture. And I want to invite you to get it at emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. And I just talk about, you know, six marks of a healthy church culture that deeply changes people. Of course, we are to be deeply changed by Jesus, and out of that, give a gift to the world. And Christ did that with the 12. So it talks about things like a slow down spirituality and integrity and healthy community and uh, passionate and healthy marriages and singleness, and then every person being in full-time ministry, etc. cetera. Uh, and uh, I'm just convinced I that we are, as the Church of Jesus Christ, incredibly important in these days to be salt and light and be distinct uh, from the polarization and hatreds and venom that's floating all around us. So again, let me invite you to pick that up at emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. But with that, let me get to the third word. So I'm talking about direction in this passage in John 21. Uh, we're to feed the sheep that God's entrusted us, giving them some direction. Uh, secondly, give them some discipline at the same time. And that, that direction involves, you know, uh, some clear help of like, don't go this route, like go this route, go over here. And then there's a, there's a third word which Jesus brings to Peter here, and it's the word "follow me." And he tells, after telling him, "Feed my sheep," three times, he says, "You know, when you're younger, you went where you wanted, but when you're old, someone else is going to dress you and lead you where you do not want to go." And he said this to indicate the kind, indicate the kind of death Peter would uh, die to glorify God. And he said to Peter, "Follow me." Now it's interesting; he doesn't tell Peter uh, he's going to win the whole world for Jesus. Uh, he doesn't talk to Peter about success. Uh, he lets them know that uh, the most important thing, follow me, and that this your discipleship is going to be marked by suffering. That's all he says. Uh, so be, in, be encouraged. You know, you know in advance. You don't need to be surprised. Um, uh, that the, the Christian life is a downward journey, right? It, it, it's, it's a cross, and we, 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 we take up our cross, we follow Jesus. And, and we're not to compare ourselves or envy other people. Uh, you're a unique part of the body of Christ. We have nobody else like you. Uh, when, when Peter says, "Well, what about him?" referring to John, what about John over here? Is he going to is he going to be crucified upside down? And, and Jesus basically says to him, you know, "It's none of your business. You focus on following me and your special calling, and don't waste time or energy looking at other people. Uh, forget comparing your work with others. Follow me. Listen, we all have different gifts. We all have different kinds of service, but we have the same Lord." And each one of us has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so Jesus is, is, is looking to commission. He's commissioning people like you uh, to, be a, to be a shepherd, to be a servant leader like Peter, uh, to, go, to, to lead the church into this, in, in, our, in the 21st century here, in these, in these times that we're living in, which seems to be one crisis after another. And we're to make disciples out of our own discipleship. And, and really, one of the great gifts of, of these these last year, year and a half, uh, and the, the gift of the global, a gift found in the global pandemic is that the church has been stripped of so much accessory, um, you know, focus on externals that are shallow, like numbers and uh, et cetera, and, and, and to be about discipleship uh, and getting serious with people about like Jesus with the 12 and the early church, we're actually making disciples and multiplying disciples who are deeply changed by him. One of my one of my favorite works or important works for me has been a, a book by uh, Alan Kreider called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And he analyzes the church in the first 300 years. Uh, 
when they were being persecuted and oppressed at different intervals. And he, he studied why, how did the church grow during that time? And he says, and his, his conclusion, looking, looking at the first 300 years of church history was they created a culture of patience. Uh, they taught this through their careful and intentional process of discipleship, catechesis, he called it. That's what it was called in the early church. And he argues that the early church fathers wrote more about patience than they did about evangelism. Uh, and that God's mission is, on, and he quotes Tertullian, God's mission is unhurried and stoppable, and that patience is the very nature of God, and that actually the original sin of Adam and Eve was marked by in human impatience, and that the Holy Spirit and patience go side by side. And so the, that non-Christians were, were looking on from the outside, at, at, and, and they were so attracted to this non-anxious, unforced, unhurried lifestyle of the early Christians, and the church just blossomed evangelistically. And it's really important that we have a long view right now. We have we have good bandwidth. We we look to the past to learn. We look to the future. Jesus is building something. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And we take a long view of things. Uh, and we've got a, a good sense of, of, of weight, personal. I, I read an interesting word by Alan um, Jacobs recently, personal density, that we're not blown by every wind going back and forth around us, but we've got a uh, an anchor in in Jesus ourselves, and so they weren't able to give some direction and again discipline and some uh, and and some and our, out of our own discipleship, making disciples of other people around us uh, again in different ways. Do you understand? This is the most important work on the face of the earth. Uh, Jesus is the hope of the world, and He's established a church, local churches all around the world, all types of churches, and and we we desperately need shepherds who will feed sheep, uh, that sheep that Jesus died for. Uh, so l- let me just close with a word of encouragement here. I Listen, I, if you're like me, I sometimes feel like, Lord, uh, there's a lot, there's so much going on around me. I, I'm i not even sure I know what I'm doing, you know, and I can, I'm, I'm struggling to lead myself. And that's true. Uh, I can imagine Peter's head was spinning in John 21 when he first received this call from Jesus. Uh, I mean, how many of you would have made Peter, again, the head of the church? Uh, how many of you would entrusted Peter with the most important message in human history uh, after what he did uh, and, and what a colossal mess he made? Uh, but it's grace, isn't it? And, and God does for us in grace. You know, grace has been defined as God does for us what we could not and cannot do for ourselves. And and, he, and God, Jesus pursues Peter and he pursues you and he pursues me and he invites us to new places. And today we need that. And he re- Peter receives his grace, Jesus's grace, and he receives his love. It's interesting because interesting that Judas does not, um, and and Judas is for whatever reason crippled by shame, his own sin, inadequacy. Uh, remember, Judas was the treasurer; he was trusted of the, among the twelve by Jesus. He was chosen uh, among the thousands. He was chosen, and he makes a terrible miscalculation about Jesus. He he listens to bad counsel. He gives into the temptation. He lies betrays. Could you imagine the guilt and the shame? And uh, I'm sure somebody said to him, more than one person, go kill yourself, you know, and the shame just, you know, overwhelms him. And he agrees, I'm not fit to live. Uh, And he does not uh, receive grace like Peter does. They're both broken, but Peter uh, receives the great news. And I want to encourage you to, to receive the the, 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 the coming to Peter is coming to you and me. And he says your name, you know, Peter, do you love me? And he says your name, whatever your name may be, Julie, Jane, uh, Sam, you know, Harry, uh, you know, 
do you love me? Yes, I feed my sheep. And, uh, and, and you know, Jesus died for you, your guilt, your shame, and he rose and he's alive to, to heal you and empower you and fill you. And, and I love the story of the prodigal son. When Even when the son, you know, we all wander from the father's love and find ourselves lost. And, and as a younger son is returning home in that great parable in Luke 15, the father sees him away, way off, and his father comes running to him and is filled with compassion, and he runs to him and throws his arms around his son and kisses him repeatedly. And the word there in Greek is he repeatedly kisses him and says, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandal on his feet. And I want to invite you to get up to a place of grace. Let Jesus wrap his arms around you like he did for that prodigal son. And uh, I love when the father sees his son and, and, and kissing him repeatedly says, let's have a feast and celebrate. And uh, there's music and dancing. So listen, let me encourage you. Don't listen to the culture or people's voices, even maybe your own inner voices of doubt and shame and guilt. But the words of Jesus, follow me. You know, and do you love me? Feed my sheep. You know, offer direction to those around you. Offer some discipline in terms of ways to go here in Jesus, ways to navigate life differently and, and, and grounded in scripture and some discipleship out of your own discipleship. So thank you so much. It's been so good to be with you. And let me invite you to do two things. One is, again, go to our website uh, at emotionallyhealthy.org slash churchculture. Uh, and check out that ebook on uh, church. How do we build cultures and communities that deeply change lives? And let me invite you also to send me any kind of emails, questions you're carrying, how this is, you know, what, what you're carrying. So I, to, and go to send it to askpete at emotionallyhealthy.org. Uh, questions as well as how this is going for you. It's great for me to, to to hear from you. And actually, we are looking to have a podcast on the most frequently, top five frequently asked questions that come into us. So again, ask Pete at emotionallyhealthy.org. Thank you so much uh, for being here today. It's been a joy to be with you. God's blessing to you. <laughs>